You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the, the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city where they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And, what they, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Nikki. Okay, we, uh, we obviously, as we all know, are in a season of prayer and fasting. Um, this first week has been challenging for a lot of people. Um, I'll tell you what, when you, uh, when you decide to go into a time of prayer and fasting, don't decide to take a trip to the West Coast and, and drive to L.A. and back home within a matter of five or six days and only stop at truck stops, okay? Trucks, let me tell you something, what I've learned this last week, truck stops are not conducive to a Daniel fast, they, they just don't work at all. They have Dunkin' Donuts, for crying out loud. And that's, that's the offering right there, okay? So, uh, so I, I, I'll give you a little advice. Don't, don't take that kind of trip. But, um, but it's, it's been a good week. Many of you have commented on what God is saying to you and some of the prayer that God has led you through of, of how to pray, uh, what God is speaking to you from the book of Acts, what you're seeing, uh, the revelation that's coming from the Scripture as you're reading uh, the book of Acts. So, so God is definitely at work. He's doing some things in us. Um, and I ask that those of you who would to consider reading the book of Acts, because I, I, I thought that would be a good place for us to land during this time of prayer and fasting. And as David and I were, were texting back and forth this week, uh, it became quite obvious to us that God has some things to speak to us from this particular uh, book. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to land there for, for a few Sundays here and talk about some things in the book of Acts. And today I want to talk about uh, the making of a great church. All right, the making of a great church, um, and and the question I'd like to pose is that when they find us, meaning those who are searching for God and those who are looking for a great church in the city to attend, when they find us, what will they find? What will be the marks of Life Church? What will make us great? Um, and uh, there are many people who are searching for a great church. 
Uh, and I hear that all the time from people. You know, we're looking for this church. Uh, we, we've been in this church, but we're looking for this church. This is the kind of church we, we want, you know. And, and a great church in the minds of a lot of people means that, that it's a church that has a lot of programs, a lot of ministries. They cover all different kind of ages. A great church also um, can mean uh, having a very upbeat, updated music ministry, dynamic worship team, um, having good instrumentalists and good vocalists, all that kind of stuff. A great church to many um, means that it's having this, this sort of uh, spacious state, this sense of openness. Uh, uh, it also can mean having a lot of good technology, uh, a, a real good sense for the arts, that sort of thing. It can be attractive and pleasing to the eye. Uh, a great church may mean having a, a really dynamic uh, pastor or pastoral team that can preach really solid, impacting messages. It can mean a congregation of people who are really outgoing and, 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 and really love together and have fellowship together. It can mean a place where people can come early and have a little bit of breakfast or a, a cup of coffee or a latte or what, whatever. Uh, so there are a lot of different things that people seem to think can make a great church. So when people are seeking out a great church, uh, it seems like they have certain preconceived ideas or certain things that they think that a church should be, and that's what will make them a great church. But I want to ask you this question. Do you understand that, that God is seeking out and looking for a great church, His church? And, and the eyes of the Lord roam across the face of the land looking for this great church, His church. But the great church that He is seeking for Himself is not one that, that necessarily has coffee, <laughs> Uh, it's not one that necessarily has state-of-the-art. It's not one that necessarily has contemporary facilities. It's not one that necessarily has enormous worship teams. It's not one that, that necessarily has tons of programs uh, and events. Uh, it's not one that has a renowned preacher. In his eyes, the church that is great is a church that humbly and holy acknowledges their need of Him and looks to Him in their dependence on the Spirit and will seek His face and seek His mighty hand. And by that I mean that they will be a fellowship of people who know God intimately and He works among them. All right? So the great church comes not so much by the works and the doing of man, but is brought about by the Spirit of the living God. And this is the kind of church that God wants to powerfully move in. And, and this is the kind of church that is seeing lives reached and changed by the gospel, which is the life-changing gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. So we here in Life Church have often said, um, especially from the pulpit, we've said, we don't want Life Church to become a great church. In the sense of how the world would value greatness. But rather we want to make God great in life church. Alright. And, and that, has been a, that has been a real part of our, our value system. Alright. That's been a real part of the, the kind of the core of what life church is about. Yet from God's perspective that very mindset of not becoming great yourself. But making great, God great within you. That constitutes greatness but in a very humble and, and sincere sort of way. 
And in Acts chapter 4, I think we see some powerful example of greatness in church and great church. All right. And this church in the book of Acts 4 um, that was read to you, uh, this church, this this greatness here, if you if, if you will, is what God would have for life church. Now, God doesn't want to replicate the, the, the exact dynamic that is going on necessarily in the, the church in Acts chapter 4. But God wants us to look at the marks of that church and God wants us to desire to be that kind of church. And so I think in this particular passage we can see what we, we need, what is desperately needed in any church, but what we need as we are going to be a great church for the kingdom of God. And so I want to give you a few things here this morning. I want to just kind of deposit them in, in your heart uh, to, to look at and to consider and to think about and to pray into as we are fasting and praying over these next two weeks that, that you would begin to pray about these areas that this is what would make Life Church great. All right? And the first thing, the, sort of the foundational thing, um, the, the, the really great foundation and strength of a church should be great prayer. Great prayer. That we are a praying church. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed. When they had prayed. And things happened from there. Alright? So when they had prayed, we're going to see some of the things that, that happened. But what I want you to, I want to stop right there and say this. The apostles had come in. I won't go back and do too much of the storyline uh, this morning. You'll have to go back and read that on your own. Um, but the apostles endured some, some really serious persecution for preaching and for ministering uh, in the name of Jesus. In particular, in the name of Jesus. And the religious Jewish leaders, uh, they had threatened them and they told them not to speak in this name. All right. So when the apostles came back to the saints who were gathered, what did they do? Notice that they did not call for a board meeting. They did not call for a business session. They didn't, they didn't need to talk, discuss, and brainstorm first. They didn't plan first. What they did was they prayed. It was, a, it was an immediate response of the church is to start to pray together. And I would ask that we would do that, that we would be a praying church. We're going to be a planning church. We're going to be a church that seeks counsel. We're going to be a church that, that allows the body to have a voice. We're going we're to be a church of strategic decision-making and all these kinds of things, but not at the expense of prayer. That everything that we do and, and all of our discussion and all of our planning and all of our decision making, it is born out of this bathing prayer that is going on within Life Church. Thus, we call a time of prayer and fasting. That we spend this time together in this unified prayer. When the apostles uh, began to, to do this, and it was in the, in the midst of really difficulty and hardship we don't have that kind of difficulty and hardship here but we have challenges we have things that are challenging us to be effective within our community and even beyond all right but look at verse 24 verse 24 says so when they heard that when they heard what the disciples said all right when they heard what had happened and the the adversity and the obstacles that the disciples had come up against it says they raised their voice to god in one accord 
It wasn't like one person in the body of Christ in that particular grouping of people said, oh my goodness, you know what? We're going to need some prayer. And they went out by themselves lonely and prayed and, and took on this mantle of prayer and carried it for the church. No, it says they, all right, the group together. When they heard this, they raised their voices to God in one accord. The church knew. All right, there was this sense, this understanding, if you will, in the body of Christ there, that in order to preserve and to, and to stand firm against what the enemy was bringing against them, they needed to approach the throne of God with prayer. And this was the beginning place. It wasn't like, okay, let's figure out what we're going to do. Let's get it done. And then after we're done, let's say we did it, and then let's pray and thank God for it. No, it's the idea that let's get the heart of God. Let's, let's get the Spirit of God in this thing. Let's get the power of God at work here, and then let's move forward from there. Now, that didn't mean that they just sat, like saying, oh, God, help us, and then sat and wait on God by any means, all right? But we would do well to take this example here and heed this example and follow it, all right? Because I think this is powerful in terms of looking at why the early church was able to do what it was able to do. And that was that they moved in power and authority and they established the kingdom of God on the earth. And isn't that what we, we're called to do? Isn't that what we want to do as a body of believers, as a church? See, we have, we have the same ultimate enemy that this church in Acts 4 had. And, and Satan and his host of demons, they want nothing less than for the church to be torn apart and to be destroyed in, in any way that it can. It will do this through underlying secret sin. It will do this through overt division. It will do this through all kinds of ways. All right? And we've got to understand that, that this is our enemy, and he comes against us with a power and with a force that is quite vicious, if you will. And the church needs this very divine, heavenly, supernatural kind of power of God in the midst of what is going on so that the church can stand firm and can move forward and, and can be effective uh, towards establishing the kingdom. So it is our call to wage war against the forces of darkness and against evil uh, that has set itself up in high places. And we need to be able to do this on an ongoing daily basis, if you will. This is why David and I often say we want people praying every day for Life Church. Because if a few of you are praying every day, that means that consistently prayer is, being, is, being, is going on, is happening, is, is being birthed uh, in, in life church. And the early church was great because they were a church of prayer. And it's, it's, it's this prayer um, that, that brings out the awesome presence of God and His grace and His power. Uh, and they got to experience this. And the spirit of prayer is where the battles were won. If you look at the early church, when they prayed, God moved. When they prayed, God acted. And when God acted, he acted on the behalf of their prayers. And so I think this is an important place for us to, to land as we are going forward and making decisions about life church and how we're going to grow and how we're going to establish ourselves and be effective in the, in, in the city and beyond and how we're going to win the loss to the kingdom of God. Jesus will build his church. Please hear this. Jesus will build his church whenever his people will seek him and call out to him in prayer. The church, we, we've been growing and we've been praying. And there's, there's some prayer that has been going on in this church for years. All right? Harp and Bowl, every Monday night, has been here for years and has been faithful to pray out the scriptures. 
And we have constantly seen God move out of prayers that have been prayed here through harp and bow. We've constantly seen that happen over the years. And it's been very powerful. And that, that ministry of prayer and worship has stayed faithful to Scripture and has stayed within that context of praying out Scripture. And God has moved awesome in those ways. And that has brought growth. Not just Monday night prayer, harp and bow, but others have prayed consistently for the church. And we've had seasons and times when people prayed uh, diligently for the church uh, in, in various ways. And God has met us in those places. But if we're going to be a great church in this hour, and if we're going to see the Spirit of God move now as we are growing and as we are changing and as we, if we're going to continue to see God move in the darkness of our community, all right, and in, in our neighborhood, it is going to require that we are much more a church of dedicated prayer. That we are a people who are praying uh, at all times. And that we are, we are hearing the voice of God as we pray. And we're being spirit-led in our prayer. Down south, sometimes you will hear like an aged saint, you know, an older person who will who will stand up particular uh some of our our fervent ladies in our in our churches down there and uh uh, you know the church that i grew up in down there was a very country little church uh way back in the woods so to speak but there were three or four uh, lovely ladies in that church who who wore long dresses and and buttoned their collars up and they were part of the old holiness movement and they had the pentecostal beehive up on their heads you know and and all that kind of stuff and didn't wear makeup or jewelry and 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 didn't do a lot of other things too but they would stand up on sunday morning you know and and they they would say time to call some prayer we need jesus and we we need to pray we need that heaven empowered hell shaking wonder working kind of prayer and that just started something right there i mean they just went off from there you know uh as soon as the rhythm starts you know then it's done you know it's it's all over you know and and so but that's what we need we need some of that kind of sense of prayer some of that kind of passion that says hey you know what i'm going to stay in this thing I'm not, I'm not going to be deterred by my feelings. I'm not going to be deterred by the situations that are out there. I'm not going to be deterred by the fear of man or what my friend may think or what this other person concludes or whatever. But I'm going to stay in this battle. I'm going to stay in this prayer. And there's a reason why we do that. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. All right. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that you and I can work ourselves to death. And you know what? We might build a church, but we will have done it in our own strength, and it will all be vanity. It will be vain works, and it will be hard, and there will be many costs involved. But if we will let God build this church... If we will, through the power of prayer, seek the heart of God and let God have his way and let God build this church and be obedient to what God is speaking to our hearts, we will see this church grow. And we will see it be a powerfully effective church within our city and even beyond. And I think that's where God wants us to go. Without fervent, spirit-empowered prayer in this place, we will grow spiritually ill. We may grow numerically in some way there are a lot of churches that grow numerically because they appeal to the taste and the preferences of people but if we will appeal 
to God and to His will and to His purpose, we will grow spiritually. May we, as God's people, commit to being a people of prevailing prayer. And may that prayer be Christ-centered. Amen? Amen. Another thing I want to say this morning from this passage is that a great church needs a great shaking by the presence of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I, I, I just saw numerous people go, <laughs> that is something we are not comfortable with. And the grimaces just revealed it. That is something we are a bit afraid of. And you know what? We probably should be in, in a healthy kind of way. All right? It says in verse 31 that, that, that when they had prayed, all right, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Keep in mind now, the place, not the earth, not the city, not the region, the place. Only the place where they were gathered was shaken. All right? And, and this is obvious from these words that the, the, the church there experienced a powerful move of God's presence in that place. Stanley Horton is a theologian. He says, after they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken by the Spirit, not an earthquake, indicating a mighty move of God. All right? It was felt right there. It was felt inclusive to the dynamic of prayer in this particular place. This place was shaken. The presence of God came down. The presence of God moved into that place and brought about a mighty demonstration of power. Not only power, but of authority. Not only authority, but grace among these believers. Life Church, I strongly, strongly dare to say that we as a church need a shaking of the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. We need the Spirit moving in our day. We need the Spirit leading us in the directions that we are taking. We need the Spirit busting those doors open, so to speak, all right? And, and shaking the place up, if you will. This shaking it, 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 that, that came to the believers here, it did something amazing in them. It reassured them. It actually reassured them that God was indeed present in this place. And not only that He was present and doing something, but obviously He was hearing their prayer. It demonstrated his power. It demonstrated his presence. But the key here is that he accomplished a work within their hearts and in their own faith when he visited them and moved. And that's what I'm asking God to do. And that's what I want you to ask God to do also as well in, in these next two weeks is that God would shake us. That God would do a shaking in our hearts and in life church in such a way that, that we are changed by it. And that God accomplishes a work within our hearts before he accomplishes a work within our city or within our neighborhood or within this body itself. John Stott says they were shaken to be made more unshaken. In other words, God shook them to establish them, to say, you know what, you can do this. This is something never been done before. This is the early church. This is the church of Acts. They're stepping out in, 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 in such a way that's never been done before. And they're, they're immediately encountering great opposition to what they are doing. And when they encounter the opposition, they go into prayer. That's what they know they need to do. They need to touch God right now. And as they do, God moves. God shakes them. 
and a great church will have a great shaking, which will in turn bring about a great witness of the gospel. Some of us, we're not bold because we're afraid. Some of us are not bold because we're timid. Some of us are not bold because we don't have a lot of faith and belief that it's a good thing for us to do or that we're actually called to do it. There, there are different reasons why we are not bold as God's people. But these people ask for this boldness and God shook them in this place. Steve Kemp has a song which contains a prayer and that prayer goes like this. I'm not going to sing it, don't worry. All right, Mighty rushing wind. Blow through your church again. Open heaven, Lord. Open heaven. And I pray that that would be our prayer. Whether you sing it or you quote it, uh, I don't care. But can we just pray? Can we ask God to once again blow through life, church, with your spirit and with your power? Do something amazing and something dramatic, all right? But along with this shaking, the third thing is is that a great church will experience a great feeling of the Holy Spirit, all right? It's not just a a sight or a temporary experience. Oh, God came in such a powerful way. He shook the the building, and it it just inspired me, and I'll, I'll never be the same again. No, something is lasting. That is only the visible an audible evidence of something that's happened that is eternal inside of me, and that is that I have been filled with the Spirit and the power of God. It says that after this shaking, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit had been released already on the earth, but these people are receiving this renewal, this sense of infilling, this sense of empowerment that is going on as they are praying and as God is visiting them. So the presence of God not only demonstrates his his power and and his might, but he also fills the apostles and and the believers here that are present with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are wondering why you're wrestling with things. Some of you are wondering why that, that life has become so challenging and so difficult right now. You're wondering why you're feeling pressure in this world with your, with your careers or your, or your jobs or, or your relationships or your battles with, with your own lust and, and, and things like that. You, you're, you're feeling really, really crunched, you know, like something, like there's a force against you and you're articulating that. And some of you are, are, are frustrated with some of that stuff. You're angry with some of that stuff. You're, you're all bent out of shape about these, these things. Let me tell you something. The enemy is against you, but God is for you. And the Bible says, if, if God is for you, then who can be against you? In other words, it just knocks that out. It's a, it's a game changer, all right? The Holy Spirit is the game changer for life, church. And that boldness that we need to have to be able to reach into our community and beyond is only going to come as we are filled with the Spirit of God. Because it is the presence of God that demonstrates power and might, but also changes us because we are filled. And so, as believers, they knew that they were to continue in this, this, this mode, this, this direction, if you will, this dynamic of preaching the gospel and, and declaring Jesus and, and his lordship. They were constantly supposed to be doing this. This is what they lived for. They didn't live for a career. You say, well, pastor, the context is different today. I know it is. But I'm going to say it again. They didn't live for a career. Though they lived and worked, and gave, and sacrificed, and gave more. It wasn't for the career. 
It was for the kingdom. And they didn't live for a retirement. Sorry. But they lived to be effective until the day they died. Honestly, I would suspect that many of the early Christians never even thought about any kind of retirement or amassing any level of wealth enough to live in ease in their old age because most of them didn't expect to live to an old age. Many of them expected to be martyred. Many of them fully believed and were convinced that where they stood, they would die and that it was just a matter of time. But until that death, they would live in the power of the Spirit and they would accomplish the work of the kingdom of God. And when they, while they were doing that, they would take care of the poor and they would pray over the sick to be healed and they would take babies that were left on doorsteps and bring them in and take care of them and raise them up and do all these kinds of things that they are notoriously known to have done because they were the church. And that was born out of prayer. This particular moment that we see here in this passage is well after the day of Pentecost. All right. But but they are all filled here, it says. What does that what does that mean exactly? It means that something fresh happened. Something that had already been done was being done again in a sense. It had been done officially. It had been done by by heaven. All right. But now here's a moment when people are weak. Here's a moment when, when there's fear and, and, and other kinds of things brooding and, and messages are coming in from, from the enemy and from the outside. And there's this sense of weakness. There's this sense of vulnerability. There's this sense that, oh, something could happen. And it does. Oh, let's pray. And God moves. These apostles had just entered this, this time of intense persecution. They were no doubt tired. They were no doubt weary in their bodies. And the church was feeling this. I'm going to tell you what. I, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that when leaders get tired and leaders get weary, the congregations feel it. The congregations feel it. It, it, gets, it, it kind of flows down, if you will. And so the challenge here isn't just for you coming from the pulpit. It's for all of us, that we are all leaders in particular, that, that we are seeking after this fresh and invigorating move of God that will renew us and, and will shift us, if you will, to that place where we are strong and bold in God. There are a lot of new challenges for the church as this is happening. There's trials, there's, there's opportunities. Uh, they need this kind of, of work of the Spirit to help them to continue to, to carry on the gospel. All right? And you're going to feel that from time to time. And the more you're called to work in the church and the more the changes happen in the church, change is debilitating sometimes if it's allowed to be. Change is tiring sometimes if it's allowed to be. Change interrupts our lifestyle. The changes that we make in life, church, for many of you, it's going to change your family life. It's going to change the way you do things. It's going to change the way you drive home. We're going to feel the effects of change, and it's going to weary us. It's going to, it's going to give us a sense of heaviness from time to time. But I'm going to tell you what, the power of God is there. And if we will begin in prayer and fasting and allow ourselves to feel that weakness and to feel that sense of brokenness in the power of fasting, we will be renewed in God spiritually first. And then on the 22nd, you can get renewed in your mashed potatoes and gravy and turkey and whatever else you want. But 
It's a shift. It's a flip-flop, if you will. Right now, we understand weakness, but our dependency is on God. And on the 22nd, you can enjoy your dependency on Turkey. But, but today, now, we begin to seek God and we pray and we ask God for this power to shift us and change us. Why? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We love that much. That's what we like. I want that power. I, I want that that greatness. I, w- I want the Spirit to come on me. I want to feel that. I, w- I want to feel it all inside of me. I, w- I want all of that. But we stop. We don't finish it. But it says, and you shall be my witness. Not you can be. You could be. If you want to be. You shall be my witness. It's not an option. It's not an option. And and it's not, folks, it's not a matter of that you have to get to the place where you say, that's right, and I need to crucify myself, and I need to get bold, and I need to be a witness for God. It's not what he's talking about here. When you are filled with this power, your life dramatically shifts. It changes. It changes in such a way that it is visually evident to the people around you. You become a living epistle. You begin to be a witness. And that, that bold life of courage and faith in Jesus becomes known. It becomes evident to those around you. And people will begin to see, in a literal sense and in a spiritual sense, they will begin to see the witness of Jesus in your life. And there in that place, you are now, you are now fulfilling Acts 1.8. It's essential because we have been given this very divine commission to proclaim this gospel message, all right? To carry this ministry out, all right? To, to do this, all right? And you can't do that on your own. You can't do that in your own flesh. It requires divine power. It requires something beyond your own abilities to do that. All right? You go into Isaiah chapter 61 and you look at verse 1 and you read there the things that Jesus said he came to do. All right? And when you look at those things and you see that, that he is talking about setting captives free and he's talking about doing these different things that, that you and I, we can't do them. In our own flesh. We can't do them in our own strength. All right? But let's fast forward over to the Gospels. And let's look at what John tells us. In John chapter 14 verse 12. He says there. Truly. Let me repeat that. Truly. In other words. I want to give you a double assurance here. Truly I say to you. Whoever believes in me. Will also do the works that I do. All right? They'll do Isaiah 61. Oh, my goodness. All right. And here's the clincher. You'll even do greater works. You'll do greater than what I will do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, my time on earth is limited, and I'm going to utilize all of you through the generations to accomplish the purposes for my kingdom. 
That's the mandate. That's the commission that we have as God's people to go. We can't do that without prayer. We can't do that on our own. We, we need to pray. We need to fast. We need to cry out to God here, all right? Let me give you one more. A great church will experience a great boldness by the Holy Spirit. They prayed for boldness. We just, we, we just sort of concluded here in these passages that boldness is necessary. But it says at the end of verse 31, they spoke the word of God with boldness. What, what does that mean? Well, first of all, most assuredly, it means that God had indeed answered their prayer. What was the cry of their heart? Verse 29, now, Lord, look on these threats. Grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. We've got to remember here now, the apostles had just been persecuted. They had just been opposed by the religious leaders. These, these in, in, in essence, very demonically motivated and inspired religious men were moved to oppose and to try to stop the gospel of Christ from going forth. And they command these apostles and, the, and, the, and they say, you must not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. That's the one they condemned and the one they crucified. But the Lord Jesus, before he ascends back to heaven, says to them in Mark chapter 16, you go and preach the gospel to all creation. And as we said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, be his witnesses. What would they do? Look at their response. They were compelled by the command of Christ and the power of the Spirit to witness of all they had seen and they had heard about Christ. And so they returned to these other believers and they began to raise up this mighty prayer to God. And they began to ask the Lord to grant them the boldness to continue preaching and, and, and ministering in the name of Jesus Christ. And what was the result? A mighty shaking of the Holy Spirit. All right, a, an infilling, a, a renewal, however you want to package it. All right, but a great boldness came upon them to preach in Jesus' name. And that's that same enemy that we feel the opposition from. That's the same enemy that wants to thwart you and, and, and your witness and your testimony. And I want to say to you that this boldness that they received was a divine enablement and an empowerment by the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God fearlessly, courageously, and to do that with great grace, love, sincerity, conviction. This is not a group of people who stood up and said, all right, we're going to go out there and point a finger at the world and we're going to condemn it and we're going to curse it and we're going we're to send it to hell. This is the people who said, okay, we are Jesus. Let's go. And as we encounter people along our way under the sovereignty of God, that's the beauty of this whole passage, this whole prayer dynamic that goes on here and what they, what they said about God prior to, to praying when, when the disciples, the apostles came in and said, we've been persecuted. Then they began to talk about God and the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God. And what they're saying is, you know what? We can be empowered and we can be effective and we can be victorious and we can do all of this in the name of Jesus and we can do it in the midst of this opposition, this hardship, this adversity, all of this stuff that by the sovereign hand of God has come our way. We can still function and we can still do everything we need to do for God. Folks, there is nothing going on in your life that needs to 
to hinder you from being a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no difficulty, no adversity that you are going through that needs to stop you. I know life is hard. I know life gets harder. And I know that there are oppositions and there are adversities and some of them are very covert. But some of them are very overt. But they don't have to stop you. They can weary you. They can make you tired. They can make you frustrated. They can make you angry. They can make you want to give up. They can suck the life out of your faith. They can do all kinds of things. But they don't have to stop you. And we, if we will stay in the place of prayer, and we will be a praying church, I'll guarantee you God will show us how to go forward and what to do and give us the ability to overcome every challenge and every adversity and every circumstance that feels like it's coming against us to do what God has called us to do in our city and beyond. And that's a matter of prayer, first and foremost. And from there, we'll get the strategies. From there, we'll get the plans. From there, we'll get the courage. From there, we'll get the boldness that we need to step out and lay down our lives that no longer is it I that is living but it's Christ living through me. Amen? Amen. I want to challenge you that we through these next two weeks become more fervent in our prayer than ever before in Life Church. Amen? Nathan, come and share the gospel with us. All of what our pastor has said this morning is built around the good news. The good news is this. God loves you, He sees you, and in fact, He's seen you from all time. And He had a plan from the beginning to send His own Son, to send His very self to rescue you, and He's done this. He sent His Son, Jesus lived among us in our flesh and blood. He was crucified for our sins, and on the third day, He rose from the dead. This Jesus is alive, and He can bring you back to God. And notice there's a Another great phrase in there, Pastor. It says, great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Some of you folks need grace this morning. And you say, well, I can't be part of a great church. I cannot possibly be part of a great church, life church, or any other church because my life is not great. Because I'm struggling with sickness. I'm struggling with sin or temptation. I'm all broken up. I can't possibly be part of of a great church. And God says, yes, you can. God, in fact, wants to use that very place in your life where you're not great to let him be great. And so this morning, as we believe the gospel, as we put our faith in Jesus afresh, we're going to have our prayer teams come forward. And if you need prayer, pray with these folks. Pray for grace that we can become this great church together in the name of Jesus. As our prayer leaders come forward, pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have called us to be great. That is, people who will make you great in our lives. And so we ask for that greatness now. Let nothing shake us except you. Let nothing move us except for you. Let the heart of this church be grasped by nothing else except for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.